Peeking behind the scenes, this is The Cast from Buxton Opera House. Hello and welcome to The Cast from Buxton Opera House. I'm Helen and I'm back to bring you your monthly exclusive backstage access to all the goings on behind the scenes at Buxton Opera House. This episode I'll be chatting to Buxton Opera House collaborators Kitty Randall and Emma Gersh from the award-winning Moving Stories Theatre Company. Now, Moving Stories Theatre Company create theatrical events and they have stage productions everywhere from bedrooms to betting shops. Moving Stories in Buxton creates a real focus on human stories and asks when we actually last listened to another person's tale. So, in June 2021, we had specialist story collectors from the Moving Stories team gathering and collecting local people's stories from across all walks of life. The stories were collected and shared on Instagram, which you can follow at underscore Moving Stories Buxton. However, more excitingly, these stories will go on to form a new part of a play. This will be written by the accomplished writer Rob Young. Rob is no stranger to Buxton Opera House, who wrote the wonderful play Deep about the Buxton Mermaid. So keep your eyes open to find out more about this play. I'll be talking to Kitty and Emma about their inspiration for moving stories and how they got into the arts. To find out all the latest news from the shows and to join our mailing list, check out buxtonoperahouse.org.uk. Joining me this month is Buxton Opera House creative collaborator Kitty Randall. Kitty comes from a wealth of experience. Not only is she the co-founder and core artist of Moving Stories Theatre Company, but she's also involved with our local youth theatre, Rec. Kitty is an accomplished actor and movement director. Kitty has been involved a lot in our recent learning and engagement programme, in particular just before we went into lockdown, she directed Deep, which was written by Rob Young. It was a play about the mysterious Buxton mermaid. It featured a really, really strong cast and really showcased what talented local young performers we've got available. So, Kitty, thanks for joining us. Moving Stories asks us when we last listened to a stranger's story and how perhaps we can sometimes overlook kind of the importance of these tales. I suppose my question is, how did you come up with the concept of Moving Stories? So, Moving Stories um, was, uh, when you speak to Emma, um, you'll hear about how um, Emma was involved in a project working with a director that looked at theatre from our family and our everyday life and was inspired by the human story, the truth, the, the true story. And we were working at the Southwark Playhouse. We were... Um, Emma was on her way to have a meeting about a project that we were looking at delivering there but on her way met a a street cleaner who was called Horatio and um, she just took a moment just to help him pick up a cup that somebody had thrown by his feet and and just heard his story and, and where he came from and how he ended up being a street cleaner in London Bridge and that moment for her really sort of gave birth to this idea of, of, of actually finding people's stories and hearing them. So we were commissioned by the Southwark Playhouse then to deliver our first ever Moving Stories project, which was having a group of story finders who went out into the to the area to talk to local people, to hear their stories. And as soon as you start to sort of just take that time to 
listen to somebody that you might walk past every day or you might get your paper from every day or your bread from every day and just hear who they are and where they've been um like that connection and like a human connection that's created through sharing of stories and so we delivered the project there where we went round as story finders we met people from all different walks of life there and then after three days we invited an audience to come and go round with our story finders so what we did so we also did this again in Hammersmith and um, a few years later but I remember the first project I worked on there was a guy called Jim who worked in Borough Market who um, had come over from Belfast and he'd, he'd been in London for many years and he was a baker and him and his son had a baking business and he had a store there and and so my audience I had a sort of I think five or six people that we walked around and the audience would go into their environment so they might be for example Jim was serving customers selling bread and telling us all about his I think he'd been a footballer uh, when he was younger and when we were in Hammersmith um, there was a guy who invited his audience into his living room and made them all bacon sandwiches and so that's how the original project's been obviously the time we find ourselves in it's a bit harder to have that audience storyteller interaction but we still feel that, in fact, it feels really important that this kind of project is happening because um, after a year of maybe not sharing stories or not finding connections with people, it feels like we need to do that to reconnect. The last year that we've had, we have become disconnected. And do you think kind of because of that year, this is really like given really quite poignant timing to this piece? When the Opera House approached me to create with artists projects um, for the springtime about finding a way to reconnect in creative ways, I was really excited to offer this project from Moving Stories because and we sort of had to hold off a little bit until the time was right where we could actually be in person rather than talking to somebody on Zoom. And um it feels like the year we've been through, there's been loneliness, there's been isolation. There's also been a lot of different points of views that have been very um, polarised. And to be listened to is such an empowering feeling, to feel like somebody's heard you. And it, so it just feels like it's a really important time. And it, it's a time where, um, like my personal opinion is that we, we need to heal from what we're going through and what we've been through. And a big part of that needs to be just taking time to speak your story whether it's about you know we're not purposely going out and asking people for their stories from lockdown but I'm sure that will come into it because I think by talking about it and sharing our experiences hopefully it will help us sort of think about where we've been what's happened to us over the last year and and to sort of um, take steps forward. Do you really hope that this is going to like open up a dialogue with the community then? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm, I live in, I've only lived in, well, how long have I lived in books? Nine years. And so obviously areas of the community that I know of through, through working as an artist in the community. Um, and I think, again, and I'm sure this is in many places, that just from that isolation of lockdown and also opinions and that we've probably become further apart from each other and actually finding ways to come back together is um, really important. And I think also living in, you know, we went for a walk yesterday with the story finders just to sort of show them around Buxton and this idea of like looking afresh at your space. And I noticed th- things I've never noticed in nine years of being here. And also there's people that I do pass every day or I, I go and get my milk from and 
and I don't know who they are and I just think by knowing somebody's story it's like a little bridge isn't it and it it brings you closer together and um and having an understanding or uh, an awareness of somebody's story it's really important I mean it is going to change people's perspectives because I think particularly because it is so has been so one-sided over the last year I mean yeah. is that the hopes that it will kind of just challenge people's perspective yeah. just that nuts just yeah to... definitely I think we see people and we you know as humans we sort of create an opinion of them quite quickly don't we and I think just having a moment to listen and um hear somebody your opinion will change and and yeah and it is to sort of as a community to be, to be challenged to take that time to to meet people in your community a bit more and it, you know we obviously coming out of lockdown and being able to hug people for the first you know you're going to stick with the people you know or you've missed but it's kind of hopefully branching it out a bit more so you you meet new people I mean, moving stories it really has put the community at the very heart mm. of this project's what kind of reactions are you getting back from people already? We put a call out for a team of story finders and uh, we were we had such an amazing response from people and in those um in that application we asked people to share to tell us a story and we were just so overwhelmed by the generosity of people and then we did an interview process and and it was so hard to to bring it down to six individuals because again the just generosity and openness of people was really overwhelming but we now have this team of six story finders who are out in Buxton as we speak and meeting people and we've done two days of training about like how do you listen how how are you an active listener how do you tell somebody's story back and if somebody gives you a story it's like a really precious gift and and we have a a duty of care with what we do with that story but already the story finders like they did the process on each other so yesterday they spent time with each other asked the questions um, and then found a way to retell their stories and and that was quite a an emotional and and huge experience for them it was really good that they went through the process we're asking um, members of the public to go through and they were just felt empowered and, and really amazed by again the generosity and openness of each other and as we've sort of talked to various people in the community and on our Instagram as well that there's an excitement and an important like they people have sort of said this sounds really important like it's really crucial that this this kind of thing happens um so it's really exciting and hopefully will be received well by the community can you give us a sneak preview of what kind of stories you get in just a sneaky peek we have got a starter one which is one of the story finders is in accommodation because some of the story finders are local some of them have come from further afield which felt really important because you've got people who know this area know this community um, but then you've got people who, you know, it's interesting, the ones who don't come from books, they're like, oh, I went for a walk this morning and I found this place and I saw this. And it, it's really nice seeing books and through eyes of a new person. Um, and the one story we have so far is of a dog who's at the accommodation where one of the story finders is staying, which is a dog that came from a background of being tested on. It's a beagle and it was in a testing facility and the people rescued it and had to teach it how to be a dog. 
So, I mean, I love dogs, so I'm quite excited that there's a dog story. Um, but, um, I mean, in the past, when we've gone out and done this project, there's a lady we met at um, the Riverside in London who was a cleaner in the theatre, and her story was one of escaping domestic abuse, sleeping in the car with her kids, and then was at that moment in time also recording, in a rec- as well as working in the theatre, was recording her own jazz album as well, and that was quite a... A memorable story and I remember when we did the walking around part of the project with the audience that some a theatre manager from the Riverside was there and heard this story of their staff member and just was like I never I never knew that and was really like sort of I think then made you know it, it sort of made them relook at how you view your staff as well and the people you work with so it's quite empowering for the for the community that themselves to like to have somebody listen to your story and be engaged with it yeah that's I mean that's what we've been doing in the training is just that how how are you an active listener and how do you listen without bias because when somebody talks to you it's really easy to go oh yeah that happened to me or um or not to or to hear the things we want to hear not really listen so we spent a lot of time in the last two days like really thinking about how you really listen and one of the story finders was saying that you know it's such a to be really truly heard is such a an empowering thing so for people that are wanting to kind of catch up on these stories how how are they being shared what's kind of the next chapter for the stories (laughs) so well when we when we meet people who want to tell us their stories I mean even that interaction so if it doesn't go any further the fact that they've sat with our story finders and they've shared a story or part of their lives then that in itself is really really important and it's um that's part you know that's the heart of the project if then they give their permission and again it's absolutely from their consent because you you can't just take somebody's story and then (laughs) do do something with it without them understanding fully what you're going to do and give their consent to that so um we as I said like normally we would have an audience that we would take around with us but unfortunately we can't do that at the moment so we've re-looked at how we can share these stories and the the main ways on um social media so we've got an Instagram page called moving stories Buxton where we'll be finding different ways to share these stories and it's down to the story finders to find that way to retell the story but we'll be sharing it on Instagram um on our website and and other social media platforms um maybe on this podcast <laughs> um and then the next phase of the project again with absolute consent from the story finders is Rob Young who wrote Deep for Buxton has been commissioned to write a new play for Buxton and we're hoping that these stories will weave their way into what he creates so then people come to the the um, theatre and maybe see part of their lives as part of that play so that's really exciting to have real life stories on the stage here will be really exciting so going back to you um (laughs) you've obviously been involved with theatre uh, as a performer and a director for many years many years, <laughs> many years. Uh, you've been involved with youth theatre quite heavily involved yeah. in youth theatre around here and our community production of Deep what is it about working with a community that you just find so rewarding the individual journeys that people go on working on projects together and and um, telling story you know in a way of theatre telling stories or or creatively um, engaging with a project and then also 
I mean, I love working with um, what you know, sort of an ensemble feel in the way that I work. So it's about everybody working together, and everybody's just as important as each other. I love that feeling of of being in a room where everybody is working together to to a, a an aim. In the youth theatres that I work in with um, Rec and also the Young Company at the Opera House, is just seeing. Um, young people finding their voices and being able to speak their own truths and to be heard is I think that's again it's all about being heard isn't it and it's it's really really important to be able to give a platform that's supportive and um, creative and um, empowering to to young people and I think especially again after the year we've been through they need that opportunity to be heard and and have their stories shared and, and whether that is through performing a play that's written for them or by them that I think it's really really important and I think community projects similarly are really important that the experience they have together is can be life-changing for some people actually. I would have loved to have asked you this when when I was their age um what advice would you give to anybody that's kind of on the cusp of going into youth theatre? If that's something that interests you that you feel interested in that you want to do is just to go for it find the space in the group that works for you in in what you want and play is a big thing like just to go and play and and not to pressure yourself too much but to in, enjoy get to know people and you know and if there's young people wanting to become performers or work within theatre it's just sort of take up the op- most opportunities you can and also to know that everybody's pathway into it is very different and it doesn't have to be one pathway that you go through oh that's really great advice <laughs> yeah. i wish i could go back now and start again <laughs> it's never too late <laughs> never too late i think it's a bit late for you fit for me sadly but there we go <laughs> anyway moving stories is currently taking place through june um 2021 um stories will obviously be available to view on instagram i think they'll be on our website as well but i will include links to that in the show notes so you can all catch up on that and we also may be getting a few stories as well to uh, feature in a a future episode but thank you very much kitty for joining me today and telling us all about moving stories i'm really looking forward to hearing them thank you thank you very much Joining me also from Moving Stories is artistic director Emma Gersh and she began her career as an actor um, before finding your real passion as a theatre director. Um, She is also part of the higher education faculty at Shakespeare's Globe uh, and she's also lead acting tutor on the MA Music Theatre at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. So Emma Take me back to the beginning of Moving Stories. What were you really kind of hoping to achieve when you first founded Moving Stories Theatre Company? It's funny because I, it kind of happened accidentally, like most good things in life, right? You, you don't tend to plan them. And I was actually, I'd been living in Bath for six years and I was on my way back to London to have a meeting at the Southwark Playhouse to try and um, discuss a proposal for a play. And I came out at London Bridge Station and it was a bit of a shock to the system, even though I was born and bred in London. If you'd lived away for a while and you come back and just the the kind of brutality and speed and urgency and kind of loneliness of the place really hit me. So I think I was even more aware of of the surrounding. And I 
was arrested by this moment in time where this chap in a suit threw his Starbucks cup just roughly in the direction of the man picking up litter in the station. And I found it so alarming that I found myself kind of involuntarily rushing over to pick up this cup and put it in the bin. And very long story short, but the guy who um, was picking up the litter sort of took a few moments to make eye contact with me and was quite shocked that I'd stopped to talk to him. Um, Had the most extraordinary story and went on to say that he had been living in London for six months and I was the first person to speak to him since then. And I asked him, does this happen a lot, that people just throw their rubbish at you? He said, yeah, all the time, all through the day. And I just, I I couldn't cope with what I'd just seen and his story, which was, you know, he was actually a professor in Cuba and he'd been extradited for his political views and was sending all his salary back to his family, um, who he was separated from. And it just got me thinking, how many other stories are we just walking past, ignoring, throwing litter at, um, that need unearthing? And and it was so humanising and and shocking, that moment. So in the time it took me to then get to said meeting at the Southwark Playhouse, I'd completely rethought my proposal. And rather than do the play that we were hoping to do, I said, could we do an experiment in this area where we, um, me and a team of story guides will spend time meeting, talking to people in this area. It's a real kind of melting pot of of different um, activity in that area. So you've got a kind of corporate business world and you've got the market and you've got people that live there for years and a migrant community. Um, and they were, yeah, very enabling and said, yeah, why not? Um, do you need us as a theatre? I said, well, only to meet at and then we'll go off on, on, um, on the street. And we did that very project. And it was a kind of ridiculous creative risk because none of it kind of made sense on paper. But it was extraordinary what happened on the day. And we brought an audience. It was a kind of pilot. And um, 100 people came one lunchtime. And we split them off in groups. And they went off with their story guides to hear people's stories from those people themselves in situ so you'd gather around the ice cream van or the butcher's stall in the market or the um, going to the crypt in the cathedral to hear the vicar's story and it was just incredible the stories that we um we found so that was it once we started that project we kind of made a commitment to try and continue that kind of work alongside our theater work um, for as long as possible and it's been a little while there's been a few factors that have slowed us down like a pandemic and having a family and all of that stuff but we're just thrilled to be able to be doing it in Buxton this week. What I've researched about moving stories it really is quite a different theatre experience what do you think is it that kind of makes it so different? I suppose that the kind of the heart of all of it is just the simplicity of the human story the truth and it's funny because as a theatre maker as I get older and I actually think even as we're sort of emerging from this incredibly challenging year I'm yearning more and more and more for just truthful human stories and veering away from the kind of the big spectacle event and wanting to kind of hone in on I guess the, the things that connect us we all need stories it's a primal function Um, we seek them out, we are moved by them. Um, The fact that I just told you a snapshot of Horatio's story then is the principle behind all of our work, which is 
the stories move along that's in the you know the, the moving stories idea um and that's um it's a kind of necessary part of life and i guess it's where theater sort of merges into something else really which is i don't know what is it part therapy part um compassion work um definitely something to do with kind of um community bounding you know reconnecting back together because it's a it's a harsh world (laughs) you know ever since we've been the human race has been here we've been gathering and kind of sitting and sharing stories from the fireside and kind of going back that far so it really is kind of a, a an integral part of us as humans that we share stories do you think kind of that's the role that theatre is in really that with that's the kind of platform now for us to share those stories I do really and I think you know even when you're watching a kind of a huge commercial spectacle you know it's still the story that's pulling us to that seat in the theatre or that event but there's also something about the collective experience isn't there sitting alongside other people and in fact we've just had you know an amazing morning with our team this morning where we were sat in a circle sharing each other's stories and the power of that and you you know you don't need a set you don't need lighting um it, it's just being reminded that that is absolutely the foundation of of all theater and that oral tradition which i think we can quite easily lose you know now that we're in this kind of cgi you know big revolve we've got all the technology haven't we but actually when you strip it back i think certainly for me that's the the part the the essence of it that has always ignited me be it Shakespeare you know brilliant stories um or you know a fantastic musical theatre it's it's right it's the kind of essence of it all I mean you have literally made theatre kind of everywhere um from the Minack Theatre in Cornwall to basements betting shops um what do you think that it really adds to a performance when you kind of take kind of theatre out of that traditional environment so I've always been obsessed with the audience experience so that was my 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 dissertation was on at university like what is this relationship between player and audience and um, I always struggled with the whole kind of lights down audience are kind of just you know blacked out and you know could be passive um, versus something that is so participatory that the audience have to absolutely engage with what's going on um so yeah it was back in um in Bath when I was I was living and working in Bath and where I met Kitty actually that I I started to become really interested in site-specific theatre and this it just feels like it's living and breathing um and when an audience physically have to travel um and the first thing I directed was Hamlet and Kitty played Ophelia that's how we kind of first connected um, and our audience uh, travelled around uh, the castle grounds and a lake and Ophelia drowned in the lake and Hamlet's ghost, uh, or the, the ghost of Hamlet's father walked the castle battlements and it was a genuinely immersive experience for the audience. I think once you've quadrupled your playground as a director or a theatre maker it's quite hard to then go back inside and put the roof on. It always feels like... Do you remember at school when you had wet play when you weren't allowed out because it's raining and it's like, oh, I can't go, you know. It always felt like that to me, like when I kind of had these incredibly playful, ambitious, slightly wild outdoor experiences um, coming back indoors always felt, you know, like a muted version. Um, 
and then I guess moving stories the project where we were we were sort of putting a frame around the natural theatricality of life so rather than putting actors on a stage to retell someone's story we were gathering around the ice cream van and if you look at the ice cream vendor inside that little kind of frame while they're pulling the Mr Whippy and telling a story about what happened to them when they were um, in the Falklands War, you just, you know, you've got theatre is is everywhere and when you start to sort of open up to possibilities of of that and make the audience the other person in the scene, then it becomes really exciting because actually in our Moving Stories events, the audience were asking questions and stopping and getting involved. And in fact, one of our storytellers, Maria, in the cafe in Borough Market, said, I'm not going to just tell my story for nothing. The audience are going to have to clean the tables in, in return for hearing my stories. So we gave out marigolds and they were all scrubbing the tables while she told her story. And that, you know, once you've kind of had an experience like that, you just think anything's possible, really. But that kind of, it's the relationship between player and, and audience that really interests me. This is like making theatre more accessible um, and it's breaking down those barriers that you've talked about with traditional theatre. Do you think kind of it's just what does it bring to the audience as, as their experience, do you think? I think it's empowering when, when an audience know what their role is and that they're necessary and complicit somehow. So even when I'm directing Shakespeare we'll think very carefully, you know, I'll even say in rehearsal to actors in scenes, you know, what do you need your audience to be in this moment? We did Romeo and Juliet a couple of summers ago at at the Minac, and I remember kind of whenever things were tricky in a rehearsal, once you'd worked out who the audience were to Romeo in that moment, what he needs from them, and when you're working in the outdoors and you can see the whites of their eyes, that then becomes a conversation that is alive that's the thing that I guess is exciting for an audience because they they have a part to play rather than just kind of you know sitting there watching something kind of happen over there that they could then disconnect from I think that's my biggest fear actually as a theatre maker is that an audience might leave unmoved do you think there is a danger in kind of the traditional staging of theatre that sometimes you forget about your audience and how they're experiencing it. Like you're talking about, you know, the seeing the whites of their eyes and how they want to kind of have their relationship with the, the performers. Do you think there's a danger that sometimes it can be neglected thinking about how they are interacting with it? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a massive topic, actually, isn't it? Because I think if you think about who's making the decisions about what kind of shows are going on, Often, I mean, I'm based down south in, you know, near London and, you know, often you can just see the commercial agenda behind some of the shows that are hitting the stages. However, I do think I'm feeling quite optimistic about what is starting to happen post-COVID and I'm noticing theatre that feels somehow like it's more about what people need to hear and want to hear and want to see Um, I'm really excited about how the kind of local regional scene seems to be um, being more supported than it was. You know, it seemed to be like everything was West End and um, and we've learned that it it can't. That's not a sustainable model. You know, the whole thing's collapsed, hasn't it, in the last few years? And we start to realise that we've got to come back to base and, and listen to people and ask what they want. And actually, that's what's behind 
this project that we're doing this week, post-COVID, all we want to do is just hear people's stories and take our time to work out what, what we do next. With your work with reconnecting a live Zoom play, there's, there's no doubt that the way that we've kind of consuming theatre has changed. Do you think this change in consumption and, of course, after the pandemic might affect how theatre's presented in the future? Hopefully so, from what you're saying to me now. I really hope so, and I think it's really positive. If you think about accessibility just as, as one key point, the fact that theatres have been forced to record, pre-record or live stream their shows to mean that anyone can watch it I just think is brilliant like why would you go back of course you can't um, replicate the live collective experience which is for many people what they want and wonderful but for others that can't get there I think it's an amazing thing and it's you know more affordable it's more sustainable that work is going to reach further afield Um, the thing I love about artists is how adaptable they are we are Um, and just watching friends and colleagues over the last year go right okay well we can't do that so then we'll learn how to you know do something else and I'd never directed a play on a screen before and if you'd asked me a couple of years ago would that be something on your plan I would say definitely not I need to be you know outdoors and in proper theatres and unusual spaces but you know actually it was um, a revelation doing that play because we did still find a way to make it live and immersive. We had a scene at the end of this live Zoom play where the audience were asked to switch their cameras on and without realising it, they end up at um, a wake scene and they end up being characters in the scene. And so we sort of managed to get quite close to that immersive experience like we would in some of our theatre productions even over Zoom. So it, it was um, really affirming to see that you can, you know, adapt and keep learning, keep sort of finding new ways. Coming back to the project Moving Stories in Buxton, are you really kind of hoping that this will help bring about kind of conversation in, in the local community, really? I hope so. I'm not from Buxton. Um, obviously, Kitty is and is, you know, much more um, knowledgeable about um about the area and the community but I I sort of think every community needs a chance to talk to listen Um, it's so unusual isn't it if someone stopped you in the street to say do you have time to chat I think we have to kind of work through loads of layers of you know cynicism and wariness and are you asking me for money and what do you really want and actually when you get through past all of those kind of threats and people realize that you genuinely just want to listen to them I literally just was you know spent an hour with this wonderful older man telling his life story just outside the opera house people want to talk and when they realize that their story is valid and necessary um, and what we're trying to develop now is not just Um, our receipt of those stories but a way to then retell them and share them so that they they move on and people can um, get past that sort of first layer of a person and actually realize that everybody has an extraordinary story it is just so easy to overlook kind of that everybody has their story and just having the time to listen to them is just so valuable really 
and kind of having people out there with moving stories that really is adding something to the community it really is and I think you know it's daunting this kind of work and we've spent a few days now in training with our team and they're now out you know as we speak they're out meeting and talking but once you start doing it you realize that people do you know do do you want to talk when we've done the project in London before and often in London if a person stops you you're kind of immediately written off as crazy um but you know we were amazed at the amount of people that did consent to share their stories and um you know verbatim theater obviously is a is a very popular and growing genre um I think we we definitely have a yearning for them and I hope yeah I do hope that there will be some legacy so that it it starts something in Buxton that maybe could be repeated again Um, and you just never know do you who might then listen to a story and it might then bring something up for them and it might cause them to reach out to who knows in their in their families and friendship groups and do the same so I think it's what we need we've been talking a lot about how we heal from this year or so and I think it's talking not even necessarily just talking about Covid because I think we're all kind of done with that. What do you think kind of the future holds for projects like Moving Stories um, particularly as theatre kind of adapts to the the post-Covid world or hopefully the post-Covid world? I think for a small theatre company like us this is like the perfect kind of project because um, we can be outdoors it can be um, quite relatively easy to manage And the more producers and venues I'm talking to at the moment about this project, the more I realise this is the kind of work people want. Um, And I would personally be really excited to just carry this on in as many towns and and villages all over the UK. I'd be very happy to just do this because I think that I think that there is an appetite actually for reimagining what theatre is. And it doesn't just need to be, you know, an expensive ticket in a conventional theatre space it could be a tiny interaction on a street corner and then an Instagram video that is you know telling retelling a story or capturing that so at the moment I'm feeling very kind of content with that um we can we're continuing with some of our um our other work with outdoor Shakespeare as well so we've we've got plans to do that sort of later in the summer too what's the next kind of chapter for moving stories in Buxton because obviously they're they're currently out there now as we speak kind of collecting stories um we'll obviously be able to see bits and bobs of it on Instagram and hopefully some on this podcast but what happens after the beauty and madness of a project like this is that um we can plan all we like but actually we'd never quite know what stories we're going to find so um, off they are out there now gathering we don't know what's coming back and one of the features of this work is that and we've got this incredible team of we had a, a you know a really kind of a tough job selecting our um our story finders because we had a, a lot of interest in this in this project um so we've got a crack team out there and they each have their unique style of then retelling they're all st- story artists in their own right and we've been practicing on each other actually so they've taken it in turns even this morning to bring back their version of each other's stories and the way they retell them is in itself um performative as it as it were so once they get the stories back we will then decide what's the best way to retell them so it could be 
a short kind of filmed, edited version. They're going to be working with Rob Young, the writer that's attached to this project, um, possibly to kind of edit and structure the story a little way. And then we've got an Instagram platform for this project specifically, but that's not to say that those stories might not go on further. And I know that Rob has got a keen eye on everything coming in because um, he's hoping to then work and develop a, a new play about Buxton. Well, that'll be exciting. When do you think we'll uh, we'll get that through? Do you have to ask him. I don't uh, know. <laughs> I'll ask him. Thank you very much for joining us, Emma. It's been fascinating to just kind of know a bit more about you and theatre in general, and particularly moving stories. I'm so pleased to have it here in Buxton. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. To find out all the latest news from the shows and to join our mailing list, check out buxtonoperahouse.org.uk. My name's Joe Standerline, and I'm a story finder. Now, I wasn't a story finder yesterday, but I am today, and at least for the next week or so. This afternoon, it was my first mission finding stories with the Moving Stories Project in association with the Buxton Opera House. And my mission, and with our colleagues, is to find stories from people in and around Buxton to share as part of a new play commission that will appear at the Opera House. So this afternoon, I step out onto the streets, not quite sure what was going to happen and if anything was going to happen. There's a close shop I saw called Potter's, and there's a gentleman sitting on a bench waiting for his bus. And I go over and I ask Roger, is called, <laughs> I ask Roger if he'd mind spending a bit of time with me. I explained what I was doing and Roger said, well, I'm expecting a bus any minute. But Roger talked to me. First of all, I asked him like how he came to be around Buxton. And he was telling me about how um, his mum met his dad. Castleton was the area that his mum was visiting. Because there was nice places to go walk in there. And, you know, we're going back a few years because Roger's, you know, in his mid-70s. I won't give your exact age away, Roger, in case you're, you're hearing this. <laughs> and I'm sure you would be, actually. So there's there's Roger's mum before Roger existed, going on a walk. She, she um, liked to get... I think she was Manchester-based, he said, and she'd get the train or she'd get the bus to go walking. So she's walking. And there's these lads sitting on a fence and they're not being respectful or pleasant, wolf whistling and, you know, doing all of that sort of stuff. And there was one of them who was particularly enthusiastic and Roger's mum thought he was very common. She married him, you know, not too long afterwards. I mean, you know, I think courting was perhaps different in those days. So that's that's how Roger came about. And we then spoke about work. He was an apprentice. When he was 15, he left school on the Friday and he started work on the Monday morning working for one of the quarries, repairing their trucks. Now, he did tell me what sort of truck he repaired for the very first time. It was a Morris four-wheeler truck, and there was something wrong with its air inlet, and Roger got to fix it. So he was fixing the trucks for the quarry during the day, 
but Roger's passion was the music and he was telling me about the headliners that were on at the pavilion around this time and we're talking late 60s early 70s here the Hollies were Roger's you know Roger's band uh, Manchester based at the time and they played here that often he said it was like the Hollies were a resident band here even though they were it felt like they were so all of the headliners and he saw Cliff and Cliff was wearing a particular multicoloured pinstriped shirt had yellow in it had purple in it and they were like bright thin colours Roger got himself one of these shirts I don't know if he was wearing this shirt on this particular night, but let's pretend he was. That was just my watch giving us a magical sound effect. So he goes to watch a band at the pavilion and sees Cheryl. And really, really liked Cheryl. And I don't think she knew he existed. But a short while afterwards, on a seaside holiday in Wales, who should pop up but Cheryl? And they got talking, and they liked each other, and then dating started to happen. So they'd go to the pavilion, and they'd have their tickets ripped, and they'd see gigs in Manchester, huge headline acts with many acts on the same bill. And Roger was telling me it's the time when you had a little ticket, and they'd rip it and give you half of the ticket. And he's still got half of this ticket from these dates with Cheryl back in the day. And he wanted to get married. He, Roger, wanted to settle down as quickly as possible. He was a family-orientated man. And he's working, carrying on working in the, in the quarry and fixing things and dating Cheryl. And there's a place that people used to go after. They go to a gig. And I'm actually looking at the pavilion right now out of the window. So we'd be walking down here past the gates. And next to the old hall hotel here, there's an alleyway. Um, and there's been some conversation of, you know, what, what we call alleyways around here. Genel. Ginnel. <laughs> this is how, because I, I had no, I didn't understand what Roger meant, but he was going like, oh, and I'll, t- I'll tell you about the Ginnel. Cheryl's Ginnel, we've come to call it. So down this alleyway here, there's a wall. I mean, perhaps it still is the same wall, but on the other side of it are the, are the hotel kitchens. So this wall was always warm. So on a romantic stroll of a winter's evening, <laughs> if you didn't want to go home, you could go down this Ginnel, Ginnel alleyway for some light romance and because, as Roger said, you know, the girls would often feel cold, but not when they were leaning against this wall because the kitchens were there. So it was warm and cosy and whatever they got up to is like up to your imagination, gentle listener. I'll leave that one with you. Cheryl didn't marry him. She married someone else and that didn't work out very well. But there was always a friendship. Roger got married and, you know, he had his family, he had his life. His, his wife is still with him, but she's, she's poorly. And Roger's found Cheryl living in Scotland on Facebook, found her. And she remembers all of these details. She still has half a ticket of one of the gigs that they used to go to. 
And, you know, after Cheryl had met this guy that wasn't very nice, I won't go into that, she'd had a couple of kids with him and she was struggling. And it just shows the strength of this friendship. She said, once um, Roger had found her again, I I owe you five pounds. Roger couldn't remember a thing about this. But after they'd separated and after she'd got married and after she'd had her two kids, she was struggling and Roger sent her five pounds so she could get these kids Christmas presents. And he'd, he'd forgotten about it in the midst of times. It was, you know, he, he's a kind, generous person, didn't expect anything back. And there we have it now, all of these years later, their friendship still exists. And and I hope you can hear this, Roger. I, I, I asked Roger for his permission to share this story. I haven't just come racing back to a microphone. He... He was keen for me to share this story. And what I could see in in your face, Roger, when you're listening, is I could see that younger man. I, I could imagine the the smart suit you were wearing and the and the pinstripe cliff shirt. And, and I could see that love in your eyes when you were talking about these people in your life. And it's still there. That has been day one, and it's been brilliant. The cast from Buxton Opera House. Thanks to the Moving Story collaborators Kitty Randall and Emma Gersh for joining us this episode. It's been really fascinating to find out more about what the story collectors have been doing around Buxton in June. I can't wait to see those stories on the stage, so that's definitely one to keep your eye open for. If you want to get a heads up and find out more about the stories, then follow Moving Stories on their Instagram channel, which is at underscore Moving Stories Buxton. I can't wait to see it on the stage. Remember, if you've missed any of the previous episodes of the cast from Buxton Opera House, where we've talked to Paul Kerrison about Buxton Opera House, how he got into arts and Stephen Sondheim, and also set designers of A Little Night Music, go back and listen to episode one, two and three. Also, don't forget to follow and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes of the cast from Buxton Opera House. That was the cast from Buxton Opera House. Please follow and subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode.